Um, all right, we are going to open the Bible together. So if I can get you guys to please open up your Bibles. We have been in the book of James for a while, and we will stay there today. Uh, and we're in James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. I'm going to read this for us, and then Pastor Paul's going to come up and uh, unpack this passage for us. James chapter 2, verse 14. I'll be reading from the ESV version. And just to remind us, we read this together. This is the Word of God. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Amen. Hello. Uh, good to see everyone again. Um, yesterday was such good weather, and I checked the weather forecast, and it was meant to rain today. I don't know if you checked it, and I was so worried that we'd have our barbecue, our first kind of relaunch, getting back together barbecue in the rain. But yeah, praise God, the weather's good. I hope you're excited for the barbecue. If you didn't know we had a barbecue today, and oh, I think someone was going to cheer. If you didn't know we were going to have a barbecue today, um, and you had plans, cancel your plans. Please join us for the barbecue. I'd really love for you to join us today. Um, yeah, we're going to continue through the uh, series of James. Uh, today's sermon title, if you if you take notes, is Saving Faith Works. All right, Saving Faith Works. About a decade ago, uh, my wife and I, Uni, uh, we were on our honeymoon in Thailand. And we found ourselves in the awesome street markets in Thailand. If you've ever been to Thailand, they have like street markets. That they have it in Bangkok. They have it in Chiang Mai. And, you know, they kind of take over the streets. And, you know, they set up tables on the floor, and sometimes they, they put mats on the floor, and they sell this all manner of different kind of trinkets and gifts, things that are handmade. And as we were walking around through the street markets, we came across a Tiffany & Co. store, right, which is a jewelry um, store, beautiful bracelets, necklaces. And at first glance, they looked genuine. They, they looked real, the same design. Right, exactly the same. You look up on the website, it's got those you know, fancy Tiffany like uh, letters and it's got their, their famous logos. It's got the same colored pouches, you know, the famous bluish, aquarish color, if you know. Right, everything looked genuine. But upon closer inspection, if you knew what to look out for, uh, you'd realize 
that these aren't real. Right? They're actually fake. A one-day giveaway is it's not a shop. It's actually just a table in the middle of nowhere in a back alleyway. Right? That's a bit of a red flag. Um, the fact that they were way too cheap. Right? One-tenth of the price of how much you'd have to pay if you went to an actual store. And if you look closely, the quality of the craftsmanship was just not the same. Right? The material, if you look, kind of felt it properly, it wasn't the same. Right? Especially the, the chain link, right? you could tell that it was kind of really cheap. And if you look around in this world, you know, there's a lot of kind of fake versions of stuff. Right? Fake designer bags, right? fake you know, expensive watches. They're all over the place. I remember in high school, uh, East Pack bags. Right? Everyone had an East Pack bag, and we were all trying to get one. And sometimes some people got fake versions. Right? Instead of saying East Pack, right, you, you could tell. If you knew what to look out for, right? instead of saying East Pack, some of them, if you look carefully, it'd say, it'd say East Park. Some of them, if you look carefully, it says instead of East Pack, it'd be West Pack. And you're like, that's a fake. Right? If you knew what to look out for, you can tell it was fake. And even the expensive you know, bags or the watches, if you know what to look out for, they all have a tell. Right? Maybe they don't have a little certificate. Maybe the stitching is different. Maybe the logo is upside down. Or something very specific, if you know what to look out for, you can tell that it is fake. There's always an identifying trait. And in today's passage, James wants to distinguish between genuine faith and fake faith. Genuine faith, right? When a person says, I believe in Jesus, how do I know whether that confession, whether that faith is truly genuine or whether it is fake, right? That's what James wants to talk about today. So let's look at number one, fake faith. What is the identifying trait then to know whether faith is real or not? And James says, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Right, notice how James says this person says they have faith. James doesn't say they have faith but don't have works, but they say they have faith. And so James is saying this person says. Right, they're confessing they have faith, but they don't really have faith. Right? Again, this is the fake faith James is talking about. The identifying trait of this fake faith is they say they have faith, but they don't have works. That's it. James will tell us that if you want to know if a person's faith is really genuine, you look at their works. Genuine faith will produce works, but fake faith will not produce works. Right? That's really James's main point throughout this passage we're looking at today. And he repeats it a bunch of times. Right? In verse 17, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And in verse 26, also faith apart from works is dead. He's just repeating it over and over again. If you have faith without works, it is dead, it is useless, it is not genuine faith. And then James goes on to give us two reasons why this is the case. Right? Why faith without works is the mark of a fake faith. And the first reason is that a faith without works, again, is dead. A faith without works is a dead faith. It's not alive. It doesn't really exist. Imagine you're sitting there at the food court, 
And in front of you, you've got a delicious Zinger burger meal. That's my favorite uh, KFC. Um, <laughs> what I get at KFC. You're sitting there, it's like a hot steaming Zinger burger, and you've got the chips on the side and the gravy, and you paid the extra to get the coleslaw. And you've got a refreshing Mountain Dew there, and then you've got the juicy Wicked Wings right there, right? You've got the whole set. And you pick up your, your Zinger burger, and you're about to take a bite when your friend slumps in the chair opposite you out of nowhere. And your friend looks like a mess. Right, their hair is all wet from the rain outside, and they're not even wearing a jumper. They've got luggage bags with them. And along with their luggage bags, they've got bags under their eyes to match. Right, their eyes are sunken in. Their hair is a mess. It looks like they've lost five kilograms since the last time you've seen them. And you ask your friend, what's wrong? What's wrong? And your friend says, I've had the worst day, the worst month of my life. I made a bad investment, and I lost my house and all my savings. I got fired from my job. My partner left me. I've got no spare clothes. I've got nowhere to live. I haven't eaten for days. I'm a mess. What do you do? What would you do in that situation? You look at your friend, and you look down at the burger in your hand, and you look back at your friend, and you say, I know exactly what you need. And so you put down your hot, delicious Zinger burger next to the chips and the Wicked Wings and the Mountain Dew and the gravy and the coleslaw, and you push it away from you. And then you put your hands together and you say, let me pray for you. God bless my friend. I care for them so much. Feed them. In Jesus' name, amen. And then you pick up your burger and you start eating it. That's a bit ridiculous, right? But that's the example James gives here in verse 15 to 17. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, and this was like a typical blessing, go in peace, be warm and filled, but you don't give them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You see, when you think about the person who says, I care for you, but doesn't do anything for the friend, would you say that is genuine care? Would you say that is genuine love? Right? It doesn't matter what they say, is it actually care and love? You see, genuine care and love, it, it can't stay invisible forever. This person might tell you, oh, hey, hey, you can't judge me. How do you know how I feel? How do you know if I really care? How do you know if I really love her? That, that's something between me and my friend. And that's partly true, right? Care and love is internal. Care and love is invisible. But if you watch that scenario, you'd be able to say, hmm, even though care and love is inside of you, by your actions, I'm questioning whether you really care or love. And if that person consistently acted in that way, after a while you'd say, I'm certain that you don't care or love, even though it's something that's meant to be internal. And James is saying that's the same with faith. You see, faith is invisible. Faith is internal. And if I were to go to someone and say, do you really have faith? They might say, whoa, whoa, how dare you judge me? My faith is between me and God. That's something inside and you can't see inside of me. And that's partly true. 
But just like care and just like love, genuine faith cannot remain invisible forever. And it doesn't really matter what you confess. Eventually, it has to show up in your actions. And if a person says they have faith and they confess it, but their actions say the opposite, over and over again, then James would say that faith is questionable. Right? Does that person really have faith? You know, interestingly, we, we say that, you know, don't judge me, right? Jesus says, don't judge, which isn't actually what Jesus means, right? We, we can judge by fruit. In that same chapter, a few verses after Jesus says, judge not, he says this, Matthew chapter 7. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What Jesus is saying is the actions in our lives, our fruit, will prove our faith. And whether you are genuinely Christian. And if the works in your life are constantly bad or non-existent, just like a non-believer, then inside of you, no matter what you claim, there's a good chance you don't have faith. That is why works matters. That's why works is the key identifying trait, because faith without works is dead. It's a dead faith. Right? That faith doesn't really exist. That's what James is saying. And the second reason is this. A faith without works is demonic. James says in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And he's saying, you know, some of you might say like, why do you need both? Let that person have faith. That person has works, right? Each to his own. Do you really need to have both? James says, show me your faith apart from works. I will show you my faith by my works. And then he says in verse 19, you believe that God is one, right? That's your faith here. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe. Right? Did you know that demons believe in God? Did you know that demons have faith in God? Or not exactly the same as us. But they, they know God exists. They believe that he is real. You know, we saw this in the Gospel of Mark last year. But the demons were the first ones to know who Jesus was. It takes a long time for anyone to, like, even scrape the surface of who Jesus is. Right? His disciples don't really get it until he dies and rises from the dead. But right in the first chapter of Mark, the first encounter he has with a demon, right, a man possessed by a demon, this is what the demonic spirit says in Mark chapter 1, verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, the demons know about God. They believe that God is real and exists. They believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They know that and they know His power and they fear His power. 
They know that Jesus came to the world to die on the cross for the sins of the elect. They know this stuff. Maybe like some of us, we know it. And so James is saying, you know it, and they know it. Right? You believe in God, they believe in God. So what differentiates your faith from theirs? What differentiates you from the demons? I believe in God. Well, they believe in God. Right? I've heard about the cross, and I, I believe it. Well, they have heard about it, and they believe it too. Maybe with greater conviction than some of us. The difference is here. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, the demons, ironically, have works. What they believe shows up in their lives. And the way that they respond to what they believe about God is, is, is disgust. It's hatred. Right? It's opposition. It's rebellion to God. Or what they believe shows up in a life that turns away from God and is opposed to Him. It's not love. It's not obedience. They don't follow Him. That's where they go. And so the difference between us and the demons is that when we hear about God or hear about Jesus and we say, I believe, is that we would then respond in obedience, in submission, in following Him, in giving our lives. That is what differentiates our faith from demonic faith. And so the challenge is, we believe, but where does your faith take you? Does it take you to submission? Where you lay your life down toward God and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my Savior, and we follow him. That is a saving faith. But if we say, I grew up in church, I've heard about God, I've heard about Jesus, I've heard about the gospel, I believe that's true. But our lives are disobedient to God. And we hear about the things God wants from us, and we say, mm, I don't really care about that. And we live our own lives. And our lives are lives of constant sin without re repentance. Well, that faith and that works is like the demons. And the demons aren't saved. And that's the challenge James is giving to us. Works is the identifying trait, because without it, either your faith doesn't really exist, right? You say you believe, but it's not there, or you actually believe, but if you don't have works, your life is probably very close to a demonic faith than anything else, a life of opposition to God, even though you believe he exists, and that won't save us. Is it scary? This, this should kind of scare us. The person who says they have faith in Jesus but doesn't produce works, right? Doesn't repent. Consistently doesn't repent. Will not be saved. Do you have faith in Jesus? And does that show up in your life? Right, that is a question James leaves with us. Second, let's talk a little bit about saving faith. In contrast to these two examples James has given in verse 14 to 19, in verse 20 to 26, he goes to give two kind of 
positive examples, examples of people who have faith and works. He talks about Abraham, and then he talks about Rahab. And, you know, I had a whole chunk of, like, going through this verse by verse, which, you know, we like to do, but because of time, I cut it all out, and we're going to stick on this one verse, right, verse 24. You may or may not know, this passage in James is one of the most controversial passages in the Bible. Right? James in itself, I don't know if you felt it, it's, it, it's kind of challenging because it's so works heavy. You could argue maybe the, gospel, the book of James doesn't have the gospel. But it's passages like this that made uh, Martin Luther, if you know Martin Luther, a uh, great reformer, um, he called James an epistle of straw. He didn't like James, um, mainly because of verses like this. And let's read verse 24, and I'll point out the controversy. James is leading up to this point in verse 24. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And if you don't like, know why that might be controversial, I want to put that next to what the Apostle Paul says, right, in Romans and Galatians. In Romans, Paul says this. We hold that one is justified by, and instead of saying works, it says faith apart from works of the law. Right, I'm going to read James again. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What does Paul say? Romans 3. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, let me read Galatians. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Right, do you kind of see where there might be a little bit of controversy and contradiction? Right, James seems to be saying we're justified by not just faith by itself, but faith and works. But if you go to what Paul says in his letters, it's we're justified by faith. It's faith alone. Works doesn't play a part in it. And this is why it's very controversial and so I want to kind of address this, because I think when we can bring those two together and harmonize it, it will help you understand the role of faith and works in your life, and help you to understand the Bible. And this is important because this is one of the main reasons, by the way, we are Protestant, not Catholic, and why the Protestant church came out of the Catholic church. One of the main differences even today between us and the Catholic church but more important than that, this is about salvation. And so if we get this wrong, we might get salvation wrong and how to be saved. Okay. So I'm just going to jump to the answer. I was going to like try to get us to the answer. I'm just going to give you the answer straight up. This phrase helped me to harmonize it too. All right. This is ironically by the same guy who called James an epistle of straw. It's attributed to Martin Luther. He says, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. And this is how you harmonize the two. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Okay, let me explain this. I want you to imagine you're sitting at the GP waiting to see your doctor, and the GP comes out of the room with the previous patient, and you overhear your GP say to that patient, okay, so make sure you don't exercise don't push yourself. Keep your heart rate right under 90 and stay seated as much as possible. 
okay? And they say bye. And you go into the GP, you say a bunch of stuff, and at the end of your consultation, your GP says to you, so make sure you exercise. I want you to push yourself. Keep your heart rate over 130 and don't sit too much. Right? And you say, how dare you? You told that other person the exact opposite of what you told me. You just contradicted yourself. You told them to sit, but you told me not to sit. You told them to rest, you told me to exercise. Or you told them to keep the heart rate down, you're telling me to keep my heart rate up. You are contradicting yourself, you are a bad doctor. Right? Would you do that? We wouldn't do that. Because we'd understand that the doctor is speaking to different people with different problems, and so they would give a different response. Right? The goal is to be healthy, but depending on which side of the imbalance you're on, the doctor would pull you a different way. When we come to Paul and James, they're speaking from different times, different places, to different people with different problems. Paul is writing to people who have a tendency to rely on their works, rely on what they're doing to be loved by God and to be saved. People who think, oh, I've got to do this, and I've got to go to church, and I've got to read my Bible, and I've got to pray for God to love me. I've got to, I've got to try really hard to, to save myself and get to heaven. And when I have an off week and I haven't read my Bible, God doesn't love me. And to these people, Paul is saying the first part. No, 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 we're saved by faith alone. And you can't do anything to save yourself. You don't climb your way into heaven. You reading your Bible today doesn't make God love you any more than yesterday. It's faith and faith alone. Jesus and what he has done and his works saves you. So put your faith in him and rely on him alone. That's what Paul is saying. We are saved by faith alone. James, on the other hand, is writing to people who say, oh, I've got faith. I believe in Jesus. I prayed a prayer 10 years ago, but then they just live their life as if God doesn't exist. Right? They're just doing whatever they want. And God says, do this and don't do that. And they're like, don't worry about that. I'm going to heaven because I believe. And to those people, James is saying, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith that saves is never alone. That faith always shows up in works. And so if you're sitting here saying, I believe, but your life looks exactly the same as it did 20 years ago, or when you sin, there's no grieving in your heart, you don't, you're, you're never brought to a place of repentance, well then, let's look at your faith. Because maybe you don't have genuine faith. Does it make sense? They're talking to different people and focusing on different things, right? Paul is focusing on that first line. James is focusing on that second line. You see, works matters. Works matters not because works saves, but because faith saves and true faith will show up in works. Works matters not because works saves, but because faith saves, but true genuine faith will show up in works. So if you don't have works, maybe you don't have saving faith. 
right? Saving faith works, right? That's the title of today's sermon. Saving faith works. If you have saving faith, it will work. James is not saying working faith saves. It's slightly different, right? but at the end of the day, it's completely wrong. James is not saying that work and faith saves, that you need to have faith but also add to it you know, good deeds and then you'll go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying faith, and faith alone saves, but if you have saving faith, it will show up in your life eventually. It cannot remain invisible forever, which is why in verse 14, James says this. This is the first verse we looked at. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? This person says they have faith but don't have works. James doesn't say they have faith but don't have works. He's, they say. Because in James's mind, if you really have faith, you would have works. This person is saying, I have faith, but it's not a true faith. And James asks, can that faith save him? James doesn't ask, can that works save him? Because James knows works doesn't save. He says, can that faith save him? This person says they have faith, but don't have works. And James says, the problem is not your works. Let's, let's look at your works and do something about your works. He goes to the faith. If a person says they have faith but don't have works, the problem is not their works, the problem is their faith, right? The faith is not real. If in a person's life they're consistently not producing good works, the response isn't, I better try harder and change my works. The response is, I need to look at my faith because maybe my faith is not genuine. Come back to Jesus and believe in him because that alone saves, but if you are saved, that faith will show up in your life eventually. I might have confused a whole bunch of us. Did I confuse you? <laughs> it's about faith and faith alone. Believe in Jesus, that gets you to heaven. But when we truly have a relationship with God, we've truly anchored our life on him, the Holy Spirit lives in you. God is at work in your life, in your heart. He will change you from the inside out. He will do that work if we believe. I've given this analogy before, but if I took you to my house and I had a tree and I said, that's an apple tree, and you looked at the tree and you said, Paul, your apple tree has orange fruit on it, regardless of what I think and what I say, my apple tree is not an apple tree, it is an orange tree because it has orange fruit. But the fruit didn't make it an orange tree. It was always an apple tree. I'm not, wait, it was always an orange tree. Now, even I'm getting confused. It was always an orange tree. The fruit doesn't transform it or change it. It just shows what kind of tree it always was. In the same way, our good works, our fruit, doesn't make us Christian. It doesn't change us to become Christian. It just shows who we really are. And if we are Christian trees, are changed by the power of God, well, the works will show up. And if the works don't show up, and we say, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, but we're producing oranges, we've got to look at ourselves and question what kind of a tree we are. 
And if you want to change an orange tree into an apple tree, you don't go to the fruit and try to change the fruit. You go to the root and you dig it up right there. And if your life doesn't have works, you don't go to the fruit, go to the root, go to your faith and come back to Jesus Christ. Let me close. If you visit Jesus, your doctor today, what kind of advice would he give you? Right? What would you need to hear? Because depending on where we are, we need to hear different things. To some of us, Jesus will remind you, you are saved by faith alone. That's it. Faith alone. And there is nothing you can do, and nothing you can bring or have to bring for God to love you or forgive you or accept you. Believe, true belief that turns away from your previous life and anchors yourself on Jesus, that will save you. Because Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. He's taken it away. He's done all the work. Believe in him and you will be saved. It's that simple. But to some of us, Jesus would say, you already know that. You believe and you're living a life that produces works. Keep doing that. Keep loving the king. Keep living his way. But maybe you become a bit complacent. And say, he would remind you as a loving brother, come on, produce more works. Not because that saves you, but because you already are saved. Not because your works makes you a child of God, but since you are a child of God, why don't you live like one? But for some of us, maybe Jesus would give us a stinging word, right? The words of James here. And he would say, you've relied on a prayer you prayed decades ago to save you. But when I look at your life, I think your faith is dead. It's just empty words, just confession. Or maybe your faith is demonic. You actually believe in God, but your life is opposed to him. Just like the demons believe in God, but they oppose him. And his invitation to you will be to believe. Not try harder. Not try to produce good works. Believe. Truly come to Jesus and truly believe and repent. And you'll be saved. And the Holy Spirit inside of you will begin to transform you. Uni and I, we bought a few of those fake Tiffany items in Thailand. Knowing they were fake, we knew they were fake. Of course, it was like 10 bucks. <laughs> we're like, Ooh. Eventually, over time, this, this is the thing with the fake ones. They began to discolor. Like they rusted or something, and they totally changed in their color. It was so obvious that they were fake. It was undeniable. Right? We could, she couldn't wear it anymore. Right? So, good job, Paul. Uh, here's the thing. When something's fake, it will reveal itself eventually. You know, our faith, genuine or fake, we can try to hide it, ignore it. We can convince other people around us, even convince ourselves that we really believe. But when we don't, it will eventually show. It will expose itself for what it really is. Look at your faith today. Right? Is your faith genuine? Look at your works. What does your works say about your faith? There is no more important question for us to answer today. Let's close our eyes and let's pray.
for each of us here today. I want to give us the chance to just seriously reflect on our lives in light of what we've heard from the book of James. If the key identifying trait for genuine faith is good works, if it's obedience, if it's, you know, our lives and how we live, what does our works say about our faith? And even though this is confronting, and what James says is a little bit scary, the hope is that it will jolt us out of our complacency and even scare us and put the fear of God in us that we might return to Jesus. At the end of the day, this message isn't a message of condemnation. For all of us, it's a message of invitation that we would run back to Jesus and confess that we've sinned, confess that we've walked away in certain parts of our lives, a little or a lot, and to bank ourselves on His love and His mercy and His grace, to cling on to Jesus who died on the cross for your sins, to pay the price for your failures, to come to Jesus knowing that He died there because He loved you. And no matter how far we fail or fall, He still loves us and He welcomes us today. To run to Him and say, I need your cleansing, forgiveness. Wash away my sins. Make me right before the Father and help me to live the life that you want me to live. I need your help. That is the invitation for all of us. And so would we run to Jesus today? Let's pray. that we are falling short.